Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ah, another edition of Bruins Beat here, and well, not, not much uh, to talk about as far as the Bruins are concerned on the ice in the last couple of weeks, um, but we promise you we'll keep going deep into uh, July until free agency really winds down, so stay with us here on CLNS Media with the Bruins Beat, but uh, this week we've got a, a repeat guest because, you know what, he was kind of a fortune teller the last time I had him on, and uh, I thought he kind of nailed it then, and I think that what happened on the ice in the Bruins' uh, two rounds of playoff hockey uh, proved him right, and that is Mick Collagio of the New Bedford Standard Times, and you can read Rink Rap at blogs.southcoasttoday.com slash Bruins. Listen to Rink Rap, the podcast, on iTunes and Google Play, and follow on Twitter at Mick Collagio. Mick, you know, I mean, look, uh, maybe we should... Maybe I should come to you when I need to make some bets or something because I, I thought you pretty much nailed it in terms of what could happen on the ice and kind of where this team's at. And as they've kind of dissected the team since they lost to Tampa Bay, um, you know, that is management and ownership and that and the media, what have you. Uh, it, it's kind of everything we were talking about the last time we had you on. This is a team that's on the right path. But I think, you know, as the season wound down, maybe – people were getting, and understandably so, getting a bit too excited about where this exact team can go. Um, I think that, well, first off, in the interest of full disclosure, I did not have the Vegas Golden Knights in the playoffs, (laughs) much less about to turn the NHL into a joke. Um, You know, I'm I'm wondering right now. I put 100 on them to win the cup at the beginning of the season for the hell of it. <laughs> you may win, win hundred thousand. <laughs> I'm a very big Golden Knights fan right now. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's hey, how big of a boob is Peter Shirelli, who got crucified in the city of Boston, tarred and feathered, drawn and quartered, and yet Riley Smith scores factors in all three goals of a game that gives his team a 3-1 series lead in the conference final. Now, I'll, I'm, I'm not a Riley Smith guy. I would have traded him before Don Sweeney did, just not for Jimmy Hayes. But, uh, but he had to go. He had no compete level. Yes. That trade, as much as I also disagree with a quarter for two dimes and a nickel, uh, or whatever you want to call Matt Frazier, uh, Joe Morrow, uh, the bottom line is, is that he's making that trade better every game. Yeah. And, um, and, and even though Tyler Sagan is becoming the complete player 
and we got to see it this year one night in Boston, uh, which was really kind of fun to see Tyler come of age and really start becoming a player who is doing those things that make a team win rather than team that things that make him get a contract. And, um, and that's, uh, uh, you know, so, so, you know, I just think that Peter Shirelli's legacy here is the only general manager to win the Boston, the Stanley cup since Milt Schmidt in the city of Boston, I think was unfairly tarnished uh, through that. And, and so I, I just noted today on Twitter that Riley Smith um, is starting to make this not look so bad and, and everybody's jumping down my throat all over it, which is a lot of fun. So, uh, so that's, that's what's going on in my world today. But, but Bruins, um, hey, look, 50, 20, and 12 was a fantastic season. Uh, that's probably only the 10th 50-win season in Bruins franchise history, which is now, what, 93 seasons? Yeah. And so, so I could see next year them being back in the bottom quarter of the playoff pool uh, playoffs not being a certainty until we're more than halfway through March. And you know, being up in arms about what's wrong with the Bruins, and they'll be looking at the wrong things because what will be happening is this team will be taking another step towards true cup contention. Yep. And, um, and, and that may be what it looks like. Just like you had the 8-09 season when Krejci and Blake Wheeler had a nice year and Mark Savard and Phil Kessel had a nice year and Bergeron was trying to fight his way back from that devastating concussion and got the second one midway through uh, and bounced back nicely from that and they wound up going seven games and losing overtime to Scott Walker and the Hurricanes. Uh, and people say, oh, we thought they were going to win the Cup. Well, then the next year, it looks like we're trying to win 0-0 and uh, with the class, five minutes of the Winter Classic was the only good thing that happened all season. And, uh, and you got a team that people are wondering, where is this? But they actually were closer. They were closer, but in a different way. I think yeah. this team will get closer next year, too. It just may not look like this year was. And so I think that's the keeping the eye on the big picture. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, even though the Vegas Golden Knights now are, are uh, showing 30 NHL teams, this is how you do it uh, <laughs> in one year. Um, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Uh, it's a tough one. But, but, uh, but I think the Bruins are on course, and they'll stay on course. And it's just that they weren't ready to win yet. Half their team was too young, to, too inexperienced, too soft. They haven't learned how to get there yet, and I think it's a process. You know, and that's the – I think you're right. And, but I think one of the reasons – that there's a better chance that they'll stay on course, Mick. And, 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 you know, you can completely disagree with me, but I see a changed Cam Neely in terms of how he views, you know, help, uh, helping out in the management part of things and the player personnel part of things and, and the way he approaches that year by year now. When we made the move and, and then we hired Don, it was important for me to, to see how we could – take advantage of the guys that are one that we're still playing for us here and, and build around those players. And, you know, I knew it was going to be, uh, take a lot of work and you have to be right on, on the younger players. And, you know, I think they, the scouts did a good job. I think they developed well and, and, and Don did a good job with, uh, you know, the communication piece, I think is important from, you know, the coach to the, and the GM 
and then uh, from myself and Don of what we're trying to accomplish here. And I think, you know, there's a lot of excitement um, that that's coming off this year. There's, a, like I said, a little disappointment from the way it ended. Um, but I think our future is bright. But we just, you know, we can't feel like the year that we had. We can just coast. I mean, it's it's going to be a challenge, and we want to get better. He had a huge problem. I think we can both agree of putting Cam Neely the player aside and becoming Cam Neely the president slash, you know, GM, so to speak, with Don Sweeney. And it was, you know, and it's understandable. That happens to a lot of players. He's just had a lot of, obviously, a passionate guy, a, very, a big competitor. And he's always in that win-now mode. And we see the way, you know, he'd react in the press box. And he still just had that player in him so much. But the way he spoke at the closing you know, uh, media availability there with J with the Jacobs. Uh, show me that maybe he's sort of changed his view and understands that, like you just said, it is a marathon and not a sprint. And in a cap era, you can't just always be in win-now mode. You have to balance the win-now and the win in the future and obviously pay attention to the cap. And I, I think that that's going to help Don Sweeney do his job a lot more, who I think has been doing a great job. Um, but I think overall, in the big picture, that's going to help things a lot. Would you not agree? I think he has an excellent synergy with Don Sweeney, who carries it forward with Bruce Cassidy because of all the time they spent together in Providence. And then with this younger group of players, many of whom came through Providence. So I think that the, the organizational hockey department synergy is the best it's ever been um, because we're in an era where uh, they're not necessarily micromanaging, but they're meeting, they're communicating. And I think in the Shirelli era, they, they, you know, by moving Bruce Cassidy into the head coaching job because he was more in tune with uh, what Julian was doing with the Bruins and doing that in Providence. So guys would, would be, uh, totally uh, acclimated when they got there. They wouldn't need to go through all of that. And I think that they've expanded that now into the upper reaches where Neely and Sweeney can see eye to eye, whereas uh, I don't think that ever really happened with Peter Shirelli. Um, and, uh, you know, it, so it's, it's an involvement. And, yeah, you're right, Neely, you know, just through experience on the job, I mean, I will say I was a little taken back by his comments on, you know, throwing in, uh, you know, when late in the presser, uh, Steve Conroy from the Herald asked about the left side of the D and, and Neely brought up Grizz and Krug and talked about how well they played and then said, we'd like to get Corey quicker back there if he can. And I'm thinking, wow, I've been writing for five years with Corey Krug, point A to point B is slow. And that is the fatal flaw in his game as a top four defenseman, yeah. not his size or any lack of toughness. The guys get character up the wazoo. Uh, but, but, uh, but it's his short, stubby legs, you know, very similarly to how it's plagued Chris Bork and left him as a tweener, a guy who's 100 points automatic in the American League, but couldn't score to save his life in the NHL because he's spending all of his energy trying to keep up and and it's so hard to make plays at breakneck speed which mm. is what that is for him uh for crude in the nhl to have a, a a fractured ankle and be out of commission for two months before he can even train and for for him to be making five million a year and now all of a sudden say 
you know, Donnie's going to work on this in the summer, and and uh, but we don't want to diminish these guys will play great for us. You know, I, I just felt like that comment was just sort of like, well, how do you trade them now? <laughs> you know? So, but that having been said, um, I think that Neely's more comfortable in his role now, less of a cheerleader, more of a, more com- more measured in what he has to say. Although that comment there did uh, that was rather forthcoming and surprising. That's a good catch by you, and that may kind of go against what I just said. I hope it doesn't sort of backtrack in, in terms Not of... Not philosophically, though, Murph. Not philosophically, but from a tactical standpoint, him being more forthcoming and transparent is clearly going to uh, affect... Uh, he's going to have to learn from this. Just like any GM, you know, you come on, you know, he surely takes over the Bruins. What's one of the first things he does? He trades... Chris Versteeg for Brandon Bochensky. So this tremendous chemistry that Krejci and Versteeg had in the American Hockey League with Providence, we never got to see it in the NHL. Mm. Uh, and we should have. And, and uh, who knows what would have happened with that with them in the line. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's not that I'm arguing with any path that led to the Stanley Cup, but uh, every GM makes, makes rookie mistakes. You know, Smith for, for Hayes, you know, so. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I guess... My thing is too because it's 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 that's a great catch by you and I, I I guess I was uh I was focused on some other things that I was writing on that day and I I didn't get a chance to go back and really read that transcript but that's a great catch by you because what I've been told and I think you and I I might have told you about this earlier but you know I had a very good source telling me around the trade deadline that they were at that time weren't trying to trade Tory Crew but they were very much listening to offers to potentially pave the way for a Tory Krug trade at the draft or in July over the summer. And, and not because yeah. they don't necessarily – and it's not a knock on Tory Krug at all. It's almost a compliment because they look at him as a great trade chip to achieve what they need even more than him. And I'll, uh, I'll confess to you that I have problems with that spin. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're telling a player – and this is the only way he could possibly understand it is that you're not the guy that we think can get yeah, up there. No, you're right. But you're, but it's also telling the player, and I know there's another team out there. Uh, <laughs> I can't, yeah, I mean, I would love it if you go to the Red Wings, you know? I can't yeah. reveal that team yeah. because, because it would reveal my source. But I'll tell you, there's a team out there that values him very much and, and also has what the Bruins might want. And – you know, this deal, if it was made, I don't think necessarily is made. You're right. I mean, it is because the Bruins want to get something that they feel is better than Tory Krug. But I think the Tory Krug move would also be a cat move. It might, it, it wouldn't necessarily be, you know, the Bruins right now are rumored to want that, that top left D pairing right now. They want to get that guy. That's the guy they're targeting right now. In order to do that, they need to make cat room. And Tory Krug's contract unloading it might pave the way to do that. And so that's why I think he Well, I agree. I agree with that. The five million for a third, because if he doesn't go, he becomes your third pairing defenseman and, and Grizz is out of the mix. And then you have a situation where you're paying a bottom pairing guy five million. Yeah. Uh, and you can't do that. You have to trade Tory Krug if you're going to fix the D. Yeah. Yep. It's true. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. But, you know, circling back to to our, our Neely comment there, I, you know, Neely didn't speak to the media too much, not just this past season, but the last few seasons. He's been really kind of hiding away 
from the media since, you know, he was kind of under a firestorm at the end of 2016, you know, and the last time the Bruins missed the playoffs. And, you know, when he seemed very adamant about keeping Louis Erickson, when I know that there are other people, I don't know if it was necessarily Sweeney, but there, there were a lot of people in the Bruins organization who didn't think that was the best move, and they, they wanted to deal him. And they, there was a deal they yeah. could have had with the St. Louis Blues. Well, and I think yeah. Neely kind well, of you know, that's, a, that's a tough one. Yeah, I hear you there. That's a, that's a tough one because anytime you're talking about, about you're, in a, you're on the playoff level and you have a guy who's going to be UFA and you have to choose between is, do we make him our uh, acquisition for the playoff run and say that's what – and that's how the Bruins spun it with keeping Erickson to that point. And then, yeah. and, then the, and then bringing it back is by a free agency – is ostensibly a trade. Yes. For Erickson. Hey, funny how we keep going back to the second trade, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it all the big the big boom of the uh everything of the goes Bruins, back to uh, everything goes well you know what? Uh it's 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 obviously a huge moment and it defines Peter Shirelli's legacy when it should have been the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, but you know, like I, I agree with you, but that, I think th- look at Neely then, right, to that time period that we're talking about and, and kind of being caught up in the moment, being in that bubble, you know, we can make the playoffs, we got to keep them versus, you know, I, I wonder now if Neely, if the Bruins had been in that same spot heading into the trade deadline this year where they, they were on a bubble as opposed to comfortably in a playoff position, is nearly having that same mindset. I, I don't think he is. I think, he, of course, he wants to make the playoffs, but I think he has a better grasp of the big picture. And another thing I want to ask you about, Mitch, and I, I didn't get the chance to get the question in. I was, I was going to get it in at the end there, and then Matt Chamora cut us off and said that's the end there. Um, <laughs> so now you're going to be in the house with Matt? <laughs> I'm always on the house with Matt. And I think, he, I think he saw me wanting to get that question in. But um, – my question, my next question would have been, if the press conference had continued, would have been the Jeremy Jacobs. And earlier in the press conference, go back and read it, Jacobs intimated that he's a very hands-off type owner now. Uh, and I don't know if that was always the case. Well, maybe it was in terms of him being hands-off, but I think Charlie was a little more hands-on than, than needed to be. And I was going to ask. Oh, he called Peter Shirelli every. He called Peter Shirelli every night. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and, and so here's the thing I want to ask you. You know, we're looking at the, all the stories coming out of Carolina right now, right? About Tom Dundon and how hands-on he's going to be, and he's very open about it. And it, it clearly scared away a lot of potential coaching and/or GM candidates, right? Jacob says that, and so I wanted well, to bring it up to you. Yeah, me. sure. I wanted to bring it up to Neely and kind of, yeah. you know, follow up on that. Okay, well, Mr. Jacobs is saying this, Cam. Do you feel the same way? And um, are you feeling like maybe you're a little more hands-off when it comes to Don Sweeney? And I, I think maybe it is. And I think that has to do with the synergy you're talking about because I think there's a very, very much bigger trust level between him and Sweeney as opposed to him and Chiarelli. But I think that, you know what? Let's let the managers do their job and let's let the owners do their job and let's let the coaches do their job. And I think that's translating into more success in the big picture. Um, 
I think that that's hard to prove that it was different before, uh, you, because then your 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 only way that you can, unless you can document and, and report somehow that that there was meddling and conflict, uh, the intimation of that is a real challenge. So I could see why they don't want to engage in such discussion because the only way they can. Uh, get into a question with that is either by debunking um, the premise of it or by entertaining and giving life to the to the possibility that this happened. And I, I think we're naive if we don't think that it happens at some level. Um, right. You know, so so in some decisions, they're all sitting there and they're arguing. And, and I mean, Neely said when they made named him president, and I guess somebody said, does that give you power to to hire the guy that you're working for, and and uh, you know it, he says, well, you know, someday I may have to, but I hope I hopefully won't. And then he wound up having to. But yeah. he he um, uh, said that look, he says I'm not going to try to tell him how to do his job, but if someday I decide that I don't like how he does his there job, then I'm going to have to move on. Yeah. So and that's the way that's the way it works. Yeah. Ultimately. But you know. You know what's interesting too, and again, this is stuff you know we're, we got to warn our listeners too. Is we're we're talking on hearsay here. We're talking on speculation. We're talk, I, I'm just going on my gut feeling based on conversations I've had. I wonder too, Mick. It, it, you may laugh at me when I say this, but do you think Harry Sidden still has a bigger say than people think that he does? No. No, no. I think Harry's. I think Harry's really. Him and Cam uh, are real close. I think sure. I think Shirelli. I think Shirelli. Uh, you know. I mean, by taking before. Uh, I don't can't remember how many years it is now. Peter Shirelli's appointed in two thousand six, um, and and Harry Sinden's presidency comes off his name at that point. Uh-huh. Cam Neely's not named president until what a couple of years later um it was about so, 2010 so okay so four years so three or four years later uh cam neely becomes president harry sinden is not president for three or four years prior as soon as shirley becomes gm harry sinden is no longer president the structure of who you report to was changed oh i'm not harry saying report to. Remains, I'm, just, I'm just saying on a, on a more sort of advisoral role do you think he has a stronger role? yeah nope i don't no. i know my okay. I, I, the few, I feel like the few I, opportunities i've had to talk to harry i don't get the sense that 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 that's been the case okay. um i get the sense that he was really kind of out of the loop and not really part of the process anymore and 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 while while uh he talks to jerry jacobs uh, you know, from time to time and, and uh, may have an opinion or two when they, when they bat things around. I don't think that there's anything from that that filters down and into decisions that are made. Yeah. Yeah. I'm All right. I, maybe, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm totally off here, but that's just, that's well, just a general impression I have based on, on my, my uh, viewpoint of, of the years that have gone by since all these changes began. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Well, it's interesting, you know, it's interesting kind of examining all these things that might be going on behind the scenes there. But I think, I think one thing we both agree on though, is that the big picture is is clearer and 
there's, there's more attention paid to it right now than maybe even two years ago. And I think that's a great sign for the Bruins going forward because, you know what, they made the second round of the playoffs. There's a lot of feel around here that they could have competed and gone to the Stanley Cup where, you know, you and I were kind of throwing caution to the wind there and saying, slow down a bit here. And I think yeah, I like the reaction. I like the old, from, from the players' end of the season media availability to Sweeney and Cassidy to Neely and the Jacobs. I liked the feeling of, of calmness, of positivity, and of not getting ahead of themselves. And I think that's a great sign right now for the Bruins because they, they are building something good. And while I do think they're going to make some moves, I think we're both in agreement with that. I don't think they're going to make knee-jerk type moves. Would you agree? Um, I'd like to think not. And I think, I think that the sobering way that the season ended, uh, when you can't buy a five-on-five scoring chance for three straight playoff games, that pretty much tells you that you're not where you want to be as a hockey team. Now, granted, they're saying, yeah, we, never, we didn't play like we were in the regular season. That makes it sound like something got lost in translation, like all of a sudden uh, players were a little overwhelmed by the fact or the occasion or whatever. When, when what really happened was is the Bruins had a three-month stretch where the way they played was so um, – it was very much like watching a Vegas game. They all knew – what the other one was thinking on the ice. They all knew what step the other one on the ice would take. They all covered for it without any thought. There were no seconds lost to speculation on the ice. There were no situations or decisions that were deliberated. There was not a lost second on the ice in the way the Bruins were playing the game for about three months. And everybody knew what they were going to get watching a Bruins game every single night. And that was the best part of the season. And somewhere along the way, uh, the wheels of that came off. There was there were injuries that, to core pieces. People went down. Trades were made to try to shore up. And while those did not really affect those strong, you know, then the players came back to their positions, and the Bruins recovered some of their game. They never got back to that level. And in thinking that we were playing in such a way that that could have been us. I, you know, I can see the way they're thinking that way, but I think it's a dangerous road to take because at that point, you're, you're also looking away from how many teams you met during those streaks. They were not playing well when you played them or were bad teams or were in bad situations schedule-wise. You know, so there was an awful lot of hockey there where the Bruins were dictating and they were like a buzzsaw and they were such a pleasure to watch for about three straight months. And then the last month and a half of the regular season, maybe it was, where it was not so good. And you were hoping that they'll get back most of that game in time for the playoffs. And, and uh, you know, and, and it looked like for a second that maybe this is coming back together, but it never really did. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm looking at it from the even wider lens and saying, hey, half this team is entry level. You don't win the cup with a team like that. You just yeah. don't. Nobody yeah. does. Nobody has. It's never been done. Charlie McAvoy playing primo, primo minutes against the top matchup uh, as, as a 20-year-old defenseman in the NHL. Nobody's ever won the cup doing that, ever. So why do we think this is going to happen now? On a bum knee, too. Let's not forget that. On a bum well, knee. I, and I wasn't even going to go there because I but didn't want to. you can go there. That's fine. I, I didn't even want, you know, I, 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 to, me, to me it was kind of like, okay, 
you know, I, I felt like it made it even a theater of the absurd to have those expectations. So, so uh, you know, and, and Charlie, I thought was awesome. I love the way he plays. I love the, the oh way he God. bounces back from mistakes. I think he's got the right personality to be a great two-way defenseman in, in the NHL because the way he can shrug things off without did, sounding like he's abdicating responsibility. Yeah, I, I think he's got the right mind for this as well as the did right body. Did so. you see the video, Mick? Did you see his uh, in the end of the season media availability, the scrum he held, and, and the things he was saying? I heard some of it. Oh I didn't. I didn't hear the whole Nick, thing. This kid, I like. I love him. I mean, he's so. I'm not going to compare him to to Drew Doughty on the ice, but Drew Doughty, the competitor, he is Drew Doughty, the comp. I mean, this kid is a win. He wants to compete. He wants to be out there. He wants to be the man, but he knows he's yeah. not there yet. At the same time, he knows he's not there yet, and that that's what I like about this kid. He's he's just. He, he's such a competitor, but he's also a realist. And yeah. I, I just loved what I heard there. And I don't think it's just, you know, him telling us what we want to hear there. You could see in his tone, in his eyes, that, that you know, he was legit yeah. with what he was saying. And I, I think the Bruins got a gem in this kid. I really do. I do. Yeah, there's no question that, that you know, for all the drafts people like to complain about, uh, the fact that he was on the board as long as he was before the Bruins picked him, there's a lot of teams right now that are just, you know, thinking, oh, God, that's us now. We're the ones who blew it, you know, because this kid is the real deal. Yeah, for sure. Um, Mick, let's just talk quickly. Uh, you know, let's look at this offseason. We've discussed how, you know, the, their main target, what it might be. But are there some other things that maybe are flying under the radar that you think could happen with the Bruins? Um, yeah. I, I, as much as I rail – against the constant jabbering at David Krejci, who has, to me has been like a, a, a bee without wings for years, and now he finally has the brusque, um, you know, and that's one. Uh, I just think that people looking at his contract and placing unrealistic speculation uh, or, or demand on him, I don't think is fair. Um, I think Tuca takes uh, a rap that's that's unfair when he plays great in a lot of games that wind up not making a hero out of him. Um, I just think that having said that, and that's been my stance on both of these guys for years, that the strength down the middle, the Bruins are very smart through all of this, the management change, the coaching change, everything else, not to abandon this. I just think it's naive for us at the end of a season like this, if we don't believe that that their long table, that the Bruins brass isn't batting around the future of both of those players. Yeah. I just think that, you know, it doesn't lend credence to the people who have been, you know, mix in their, their rage and anger at law at losing into their assessment and evaluation of said players. But I do think it's naive if we don't, if those, these things, could not be going on. I just think that that could be happening. You know, I, I asked Neely at the end of it, he did, you know, he did the scrum after he had the uh, formal press conference part there. Um, and, you know, I, I said, you know, I mean, it's kind of like the elephant in the room, right? It's like, look, you, you've been depending on uh, Bergeron Krejci as your one-two up the middle for a while. And we all know that, you know, every Stanley Cup team usually has a solid one-two up the middle and 
a solid D pairing and a solid goalie. It all goes right up yep. the middle, right? You know, the center position's a big a big position. I mean, you know, you look at what Patrice has done throughout his career, David for the most uh, Kretschy for the most part of his career. Those are those are two, you know, good players um, that have played here that, you know, have helped us win a cup and and be successful. So that's you know, from the goaltender on out through the middle of the ice is very important. You know, you you can't tell me that they're not already thinking about life after Bergeron and Krejci. And I'm with you, Mick, that I think more so Krejci right now. And, you know, we're talking about Tory Krug maybe being the, the cap-related type trade they need to go get that D-man they want. Maybe it's not Tory Krug. Maybe, maybe it's Krejci that frees up that money to do that. And then... You know, but then you're leaving that void in the center, but at least maybe they, they well, see Well, this coming. is a problem. This is a pro- yeah. Yeah, you just, you just touched on where I want to go with this. Yeah. Uh, it's a catch-22. That's a caveat. The Bruins are very weak at goal. The only, I'll tell you one thing for sure. If there's a good goalie in the draft, the Bruins are taking them. Yeah. Um, I think we can pretty much count on that. Yeah. Uh, they get a restart the prospect pool for goaltending, unless they think that Dan Vladar is, is going to come here within the next two years yeah, and, and, so. uh, and, and push on Tuca. Uh, and I'm not sure that anybody thinks that because goalies, he's doing conventionally what goalies do. If you're not going to play all the time in Providence, you play all the time in the, in the ECHL, and that's what he had done. So, so uh, things may be right on schedule and they may like him. I, you know, I just don't know where they're at as far as that goes, but I do know that there's nobody breathing down their necks right now, and it's signing Hudobin makes a lot of sense if they can do it. And then, um, and then the other thing is, is Riley Nash. I think is the is the is the uh, mm. is sort of the one that you know. Yeah, me too. I because, think he played, his, he played because, his way out of here. Well, I don't know about that because he got a concussion when he got that puck in the ear, and his nickname never came back. No, and I, and, and I don't think I think I think he'll be judged. I think the body of GMs in the NHL will judge him based on the way he played for the Bruins during, during those three glorious months. And I think that he'll uh, command if he wants, assuming right. he wants it, he'll get the best contract of his career. And he can't get it from the Bruins because of all the entry level guys who are going to need a second contract. And we all know now that the players are getting the money on the second contract, not the third. They no yeah. longer need arbitration rights oh, totally. to cash in. Well, Mick, so, Mick that's, that's, where that's, I was going. that's where I was going when I said he played his way. I mean, that I think, you know, when he filled in for Bergeron the way he did, and he, he, he was such Oh, a, I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought you were talking about his drop-off and play at no, the No, not in a bad way. I meant in a good way he played his way out of his solid play, like those three months you ran. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's I agree with you. And yeah. I, think he, I think he did. Yeah. yeah. And, and so... So I'm on your page. So, um, uh, and I think that I think that you look at this. If you kept Riley Nash, and assuming because Krejci has a no move that becomes modified after the next season, so assuming that Krejci comes back this coming season, you got to let Riley Nash walk because otherwise, how do you begin the process of finding out if? and who can emerge as a potential – let's face it, David Backus is going to play more center next season than he did this season because the Bruins are going to hand that over to the prospects. It's going to be JFK. It's going to be possibly Fredericks, Dudnika, um, 
Uh, yeah, um, there's more here. Donato is going to get yep. some looks there. Oh, yeah. Uh, sure. I think that, you know, you've got a scenario of several guys who have the legitimate potential to become that guy. And they're not going to get it in the top six. Uh, you can't make the, you can't guarantee your playoffs if you, if, if you uh, do it there. You have to do it in the Riley Nash position. That's where it has to be done. So I think that that's why Riley Nash is going to go combined with what you just said about him. Yeah, I hear you. Well, you know what? It's going to be an interesting summer. And, you know, it, it was interesting. Uh, I was talking to Joe Haggerty, our, our fellow colleague, you know, about the draft. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking to head down there um, at the end of June in Dallas. And he's like, I don't know if I'm going to go, Murph. You know, the Bruins don't even have a first-round pick. I'm like, Joe, that doesn't matter. They're going to be, they're going to be busy. Trust me. They're going to be very busy. I think, uh, in and around it's the what draft. they're going to do there. Yeah. Exactly. What, they, what you do with the draft is bigger than the draft. Exactly. I mean, that, that to me, and I think you agree with me and I think a lot of people understand this. That to me has become the real trade deadline. You know, I mean, the draft is, uh, kind of outshine the trade deadline for many years now. And it, that's why I love it. I, I, it's one of my favorite times of year as a hockey reporter and fan. Because it's just yeah. I mean, I thought that this I thought this past trade deadline was really intriguing because of the availability of McDonough and yes. the fact that he went to Tampa oh. and not to the team that needed him more. Uh, because to me, he's even the elephant in the kitchen. He's the guy that oh, would have answered this question. He would have bridged the general ga- generational gap between Chara and the prospects. He would have completed the Bruins' maturity in the top four. He's under contract and is underpaid. And I'm thinking, how the heck does this guy wind up going there? Who yeah. did they want out of the Bruins? And everybody's talking to Russ. But if you're the Rangers, you need a centerman. And if you look at what they got I'll next, I'll tell you who they Rangers. I'm telling you right now who they wanted, and Sweeney wouldn't budge on it, is Trent Frederick. I would have budged on it. I would have done, done that it. in a heartbeat. Well, he was, he's the piece. I mean, I'm, from everything I hear from within the Bruins organization, from a Rangers source, and around the league, Sweeney is in love with this guy, and he wasn't going to budge on it. And, he, and, and I'm not saying he's wrong for that. This kid could, could turn out to be a star, but you're absolutely right. That could have solved a lot of problems uh, right now. Well, I'll tell you right now, they, they, got a, they still got a problem back there, and they've done nothing about it. And yeah. uh, the only I thing that I will. think could have possibly have helped them out this past season would have been uh, to get Kevin Miller back over there like he was during the first 10 games of the year. Yeah. And they didn't do that after that point. They went with what they had. Holden didn't even get in until there was their injuries. And, um, and, and not that, you know, just because he played in the top four in New York, nobody was calling him top four guy. So, so ultimately, the Bruins' problem remains. And so and it's kind of irrelevant because they're a climbing team. But then you turn around and you give a first rounder for Rick Nash. Which yeah. That bugged me. So. So, so I, I, to me, it felt like, hey, if you're going to do this, why not do the thing that really picks it up? Yeah, you know? yeah so, I'm with you. And, and, and so I'm, I'm, so I'm in this picky mood as far as the Bruins goes. Uh, but in the big picture, uh, great season, overachieving in the regular season, and playoff reality struck harder than uh, anybody, you know, you know yeah. really expected it to after the season they had. Um, but, but, you know, hey, this, this team's coming, and uh, it should be really fun. These, next, it's, these are the critical steps these next couple of years, watching to see what they do to identify which guys are going to be the ones and yep. who's going to get moved out as they, um, you know, become that team that could win it in a few years. 
Yeah, and, and like we said, I mean, I, I think this is a very critical offseason. This is a, a critical summer. And, you know, it, 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 I had like, you know, one of my um, higher-ups at CLNS was saying, oh, so, you know, you're going to take a break now, Murph? See, I'm like, wait, break? It's only going to get busier. The, the Bruins are going to be busy. I mean, if, if they're doing things right, the Bruins are going to be busy over the next couple months. Yeah. I, it's, so there's going to be a lot to I talk think they about. made a big mistake. I think they made a mistake letting McDonough go. Uh, through their hands. I think they made a mistake yeah. for signing Nash. Um, and now they know, you know how the Canadians you know. feel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know if I'll ever know how the Canadians oh, feel. What's it boy. like to win the Stanley Cup 24 times and then feel as far out of it as you can, could ever imagine? Can, can, you, ima- can you imagine that, hypothetically speaking, and obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but right now, on their blue line, they could have Ryan McDonough, P.K. Subban, and Sergachev. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, I never thought of it from that standpoint, wow. but yeah, I think you're trying to make Claude cry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Claude's happy. He's got a nice contract up there. They're going to be an well. He does. <laughs> that's going to be a tough turnaround. Yeah, it is. It is. But I, uh, you know, it, uh, my sister bumped into him the other day, though, when he, he she said he seemed. Seemed pretty upbeat, so that's good. Good for him. We'll see what good happens. Well, listen, Mick, always a pleasure, my friend. We'll have to get you on during the summer for sure. All right, Murph, take care. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's Mick Collagio, the New Bedford Standard Times. Join us here on CLNS Media on the Bruins Beat. I'm Jimmy Murphy. We'll talk to you next week. Good.